0: That's a, don't even know what I'm trying to say. Gadigal is <laughs> magma. <laughs> okay. Anyway.
1: Hey everyone, my name is
0: Nick And my name's Kat, thanks for listening to our podcast Made for You and Me An educational and entertaining podcast On the history, geology, wildlife, and other fun facts Within America's best idea The National Parks Great (laughs) Well this has been
1: a day for me Kat So like, (laughs) I don't really like Are we gonna get the giggles? I think we might get the giggles Um, But thanks for introducing us Like you always do so fabulously You're terrific (laughs) You're so terrific.
0: <laughs> You're um, so genuine in that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hey, Kat, we have gotten some really great feedback and responses from our creepiest episode yet. Do tell. I would uh, love, love, love to hear more. Well, we've just been... In- what? We've just been getting some comments and DMs saying that they enjoyed it and they've been waiting for this one. So you are not alone in your creepiness, cat people. <laughs> Thank our, our listeners are just as weird and twisted as you are and they want to hear about these crazy, spooky, weird and fascinating mysterious disappearances. And so it's very likely that we will have a second episode, a part two.
0: Yes, we should. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the other podcast and um, shorts and things like that on mysterious disappearances in the national parks. And none of them were as good as ours. (gasps) Great. So if you are creepy, wear your home base (laughs) because we're telling the story better, faster, with more exciting details Than anyone else. I love the confidence, cat. And I actually texted you and I was like, oh, I think I soiled
1: this episode because I was trying to just like be very matter of fact and speak so plainly. And so I felt that I was like really monotone, but apparently people didn't think I ruined it. So that's great. And I also had to edit it during the daytime. (laughs) I was like, made a point (laughs) to edit it during daylight when there was sunshine as to not be creeped out listening to these stories over and over and over in the nighttime. When I
0: heard it again, I wasn't as creeped out the second time. Yeah, same. I wasn't
1: as creeped out. And obviously when editing, you're focused more on, like, the...
0: The noises cat makes constantly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cats in the background and sniffles and spilling drinks. Um, So, yeah, yeah, so you're right. I wasn't, like, as intently listening. Um, But still, I was like, I know myself. It's got to be during daylight. So... (laughs) And there it was good for you. Um, well, Kat, what's new with you? Do you want to tell um, mm-hmm. your list our listeners mm-hmm. what took place this week? You want to update us all on um,
0: karma <laughs> is what took place this week. It was a huge, just bite of karma. <laughs> well, I know, but share with everyone else details. So, I for since quarantine started, I've been. Not aggressively, but, like, actively doing Pilates. And last week, I did Pilates for, like, three days in a row. And I was, like, on my little exercise bike. And I was feeling sore, but not nothing that should have said stop. So I finished my Pilates on Saturday evening. And then I went to clean out the kitty litter box, which is already a terrible job. And I did not take... <laughs> The advice of young Nicholas <laughs> and his eighty-year-old back, wow. and I bent over, and then I fully pulled every muscle. I think that um, Nick and New Girl said. Smush back like everything came out of the sandwich, no. <laughs> and like literally everything came out of the and sandwich. And that's all it takes. And yeah, so I've been horizontal for a few days. Mm-hmm. I'm currently sitting upright. Yeah,
1: you're looking great. I don't know if you're feeling <laughs> great, but you look like you're doing well. I got here tonight, and you came to the door, and you even you didn't bend <laughs> down. You knelt down and got the mail from the floor that fell through the mail slot in your Oh, in your I should door. not have
0: picked on you about you were, this. This I, is, I mean, like, instant. I'm
1: not going to say I told you so, but I mean, maybe you'll have some more respect for my future New Year's resolutions. I've even
0: been stretching.
1: Yeah. No, I I mean, I don't know. I, I really hate that I for you. D- well, I mean, it's only funny because you're okay, but you're doing great today. Yeah, you are. You're mobile I, I'm doing okay. You're looking great, oh. feeling great. You're oh. putting the lit back in mobility. Uh, okay. What about
0: your week moving onward?
1: Uh it was great. Nothing to report. Um it's cold. I don't like it.
0: Have you read anything this year? We haven't oh, heard anything yes. about your reading. So I
1: actually have been, I wanted to run this by you, Cap, but since we're on air and you brought it up and I haven't thought to, not on air, whatever, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> but since you brought it up while, while we're recording, uh, I thought about like maybe having um, a new highlight reel for stories on our Instagram of just Nick's books. So I, I think I might just post a little Instagram story every month when I finish a book in case any of our, Nature fans want to read what Nick's reading. But no, I have already read two books in January. They're both very good. And if anyone wants to know what they are, um let me know. I got some good recs. <laughs> she regrets asking. She totally regrets asking. Oh, you know what I did actually start in the past couple of weeks cat. I drank the Kool-Aid and I started real housewives
0: yay i know you told me that the other day and i was like no he specifically told me before that he doesn't watch them so now we get to talk about who did you start with salt lake city and
1: that's really the only one i think i will watch because that is
0: so ridiculously ridiculous why because first of all it's their first season in salt lake
1: well that's why for me but continue go on
0: um there's Gold buried in all of I don't the real house No, you. she's speechless. <laughs>
1: she's so frustrated I'm and so
0: speechless. <laughs> I'm serious about this. Like it is, it is. I, they should win awards, like real awards, not like live TV or whatever awards, like like Grammys. Oh, they well, they do win Grammys. No scrubs. What? The girl who wrote No Scrubs uh-huh. is on one of, well, she's in Atlanta. She's one of the Real Housewives of Atlanta. I didn't know Candy, that. Candy, yes. Wow.
1: The more you know. Scrubs now I'm very guys. intrigued. It's also funny because I meant to say Golden Globes and not Grammys, but here we are. Plot think, twist.
0: And a lot of the Housewives have also gone on to have a career that I think everyone else knows is ironic. Like an ironic singing career, but um, they definitely don't think that it is. Mm-hmm. Um and those are very, very entertaining. <laughs> I bet. Don't be tardy for the party. And money don't buy you glass are two. <laughs> I
1: didn't realize. I knew you watched Real Housewives, but I didn't realize you could, like, reference them and quote them off the top of your head. Oh, That's my gosh. great. No, I had no idea. And I'm also learning that there are so many people in my circle of friends, my very small circle of friends, that are really big Real Housewives fans that I never knew before.
0: It's just. It, it's mindless. It's not so fake that you recognize that it's fake. Like, these people genuinely could be this ridiculous. Yeah, that's a good observation. Um, but also... I love listening to other people complain about having to do menial tasks. Oh, so <laughs> frustrating. I, no, I love it. Do I'm you? Yeah. Well, I,
1: it's entertaining for me, but it's the entertaining part is that I can yell back at the screen and have, like, insane opinions about them. And it's not like – I mean, even though it is real life, it's like – I, I don't know. I feel like I can be frustrated and be content in my frustration and yeah. when it comes to stuff like such menial tasks or random drama or like having 18 closets in your home and but anyway, but the Salt Lake City is is pretty good. And that the one that, the reason I decided to start that one was because I didn't want to like have to catch up with three, seven, ten seasons on some of these, and I just wanted to start fresh with these new girls. And it is so I don't want to say good because it's not quality but i have such a good time watching it like some of the stuff in salt lake city is like one of them is married to her grandfather what yeah she's married to not her biological grandfather but to her grandmother's second husband another one and these are all well most of them are mormon another one is 18 years younger than her husband and they were both married to other people when they met so you don't meet them or you don't see the show like when they're both with other people but that's just like very scandalous in and of itself and a lot of other stuff that I want to get into but I'm sure our listeners (sighs) are like why are they joining on about Real Housewives we don't care they didn't come to listen about Real Housewives they came to listen about Katmai National Park and Preserve that was a very jarring transition Mm -hmm. but I felt like it needed to happen
0: (laughs) oh man I have to I have to do something. I haven't done this yet. I just listen to other people. What do you have to do? What do you think I have to do?
1: I have no idea. Cat May. Kat
0: May. Oh my gosh, I didn't even
1: I think about how to pronounce it.
0: I was like well, I didn't think Kat about May. it either, but I was uh-huh. listening to some videos and I saw this younger girl saying it. Everyone else says it too quickly to understand, but Kat May.
1: Cat May. Okay, Kat great. May. You know what? I was like I feel like a, a number of our episodes where there were Native American tribe mm-hmm. names and, like, crazy mountain names, especially when we did Hawaii, I was, like, so into pronunciation. And I feel like I've just drifted so far from that. I did not even think twice. I was like, Katmai, it's it's Katmai. And even just, I'm not way off with Katmai. I, like, that's where I am. I was just so unconcerned about how to pronounce it.
0: Well, if you were constantly harassed for your pronunciation of everything, you would, too, (laughs) look up everything at this point.
1: Well, thank you for um, starting us off on the correct pronunciation. I would say that's fairly important. Get me! So that's why we're such a great team. Um, We, you know, fill in the cracks. (laughs)
0: can we just get where
1: where the other one fails
0: (laughs) you feel in my crack
1: (laughs) 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 all right so Katmai national park and preserve is an american national park in southern alaska known for its volcanoes brown bears salmon rivers and rugged coastline Katmai is a vacation destination for outdoor activities and adventures you can hike kayak and canoe here. You can fish waist deep in rivers as clear as glass, and you can watch the best fish catcher of all, the great Alaskan brown bear. At the end of the day, you can relax in a rustic yet sumptuous lodge in the shore of a sapphire lake and recount the day's excitements. Two of the most notable features are the Valley of Ten Thousand Smokes and its brown bears. The park and preserve encompasses over 6,000 square miles, which is slightly smaller than Connecticut and Rhode Island combined. So it's big. However, it is the fourth largest American national park, but the smallest of all the national parks in Alaska. Wow. So we already did Wrinkle St. Elias, which is the largest in the National Park Service. And, obviously, in Alaska. And even though this one is still the fourth largest in the whole National Park Service, it's the smallest in Alaska. And it's almost the size of two states combined.
0: Interesting.
1: Interesante. And
0: it is a park and preserve.
1: Park and preserve.
0: So we know what that means.
1: Well, we do, but we haven't published that one yet. Yep. So So
0: you'll know what that means. (laughs) You'll know what that means. If you're real curious about
1: it, we give you permission to do a little bit of Googling, but also no need because we already covered it, and that'll come out later. Most of the national park is designated wilderness area where all hunting is banned. Banned. The park is named (laughs) after its centerpiece, Mount Katmai, which is a volcano. In 2015, which is the latest count, it had
0: 38,000
1: visitors, which...
0: It's a ton, <laughs> considering it actually is. Yeah, no, you're well, right. I'm, it's, sure, um, I'm sure you'll get into that.
1: A little bit. So if you were one of those 38,000 in the past even four years, that's wonderful. Way to go. Do Jealous. you know how many
0: visitors there were in 1923?
1: Because I do. Um, <laughs> dozens. Fifteen. Fifteen.
0: So oh, kind great. of. <laughs> so kind
1: of. That's one of my in, in in my history. I just like breeze over that really quick. So you said in in nineteen what year? Twenty three. Nineteen twenty-three
0: 1923,
1: there were fifteen. Fifteen visitors. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> great. So I mean thirty eight thousand is a huge increase. Mm-hmm. So great. All right, cat. Let's talk some history. Bistery. Mystery. Kistery. Distery.
0: Listery. Ooh.
1: We'll stop at that. <laughs> prehistoric prehistoric <laughs> artifacts... Oh my gosh. <laughs> prehistoric artifacts have been found dating to about 6,000 years before present day near Old May Village on the park's south coast. The first historic records to mention Katmai area date to the late 1760s. Russian fur hunters reached the area in 1741 and made their way up north to the Alaska Peninsula. Eventually, Russia's involvement in the Crimean War in the 1860s drained the treasury and the American colony became too expensive to keep up. And then Seward's Folly took place and that's when Alaska was sold to the United States in 1867, by 1898, there were reports of frequent earthquakes in the vicinity of Katmé Pass. These intensified around June 1st, 1912, inducing a few local residents to leave. Katmé and Novarupta erupted on June 6th. And the noise was heard in Fairbanks, Alaska, which is 500 miles away. It was also heard in Juneau, Alaska, which is 750 miles away.
0: An hour later.
1: So that was a loud eruption.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they continued for a whole day until June 7th and then gradually declined on June 8th. Even though it was like the event itself was one eruption or even, yeah, even though the eruption was one event in itself, it was days long. Ash fell 6 to 12 inches deep in Kodiak, which is an island not far off the coast, and haze was noted worldwide. Temperatures were depressed in the, in the Northern Hemisphere during the second half of 1912.
0: Because of all of the ash. Because
1: of all the ash. How crazy is that? Um. Temperatures were depressed in the Northern Hemisphere.
0: Now, how do you feel, temperatures? A whole
1: six months later. I (laughs) (laughs) know.
0: We're all depressed a little bit (laughs) six months
1: later after certain events that took place. But this is crazy. So anyway, the National Geographic Society backed five expeditions to Katmai, beginning in 1915 with a trip to Kodiak Island and a short stay on the mainland. The expedition was initially interested in the study of plant recolonization, Have you ever heard of such a sexier topic than plant recolonization? Mm. I think the word recolonization makes it sound so dweeby, but cat's ears are perked up a little bit when I said that, so (laughs) we might be talking about that. Um, But there was a delightful surprise when they came across the space named the Valley of 10,000 Smokes. Were you going to talk about the Valley of 10,000 Smokes? I didn't really see see that in your notes. Mm -mm. Great. Well, I will. What is the Valley of 10,000 Smokes? A really smoky valley. It's, a, it's, like, so smoky, there are probably, like, 10,000 Smokes at up in there. At
0: least all the Smokes.
1: Well, you're not wrong. Actually, you're totally wrong. That's not what it is at all. <laughs> I don't really know why it's called 10,000 Smokes. Oh, is a smoke a thing? Yep. <laughs> hmm, I don't know. I don't know. I did some really good research on this, but may I have to backtrack a little bit. Anyway... Like we already said, in late May of 1912, a series of earthquakes started to rattle a once lush valley. The native Alaskans could tell something was up, and they said, Bye, and they grabbed their belongings, and they peaced the F out. On June 6, a volcano named Novarupta suddenly exploded with cataclysmic force 10 times greater than that of the Mount St. Helens eruption in 1980. Great geysers of magma filled the sky... And the rivers,
0: cataclysmic,
1: cataclysmic, great geysers of magma. What the fuck is this, this typo? I don't even know what I'm Magma, to say. great geysers of magma, rushed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know. I, there's a typo in my notes. That I don't even know what I'm trying to say.
0: Cataclysmic magma. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, anyway. Well, there were great geysers. There was an eruption. <laughs> there were great geysers of magma from this eruption, and superheated lava flowed into the valley with a volume that is still mind-boggling. So there were 15 cubic kilometers of magma in this eruption. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like translate that to what is can be filled with 15 cubic kilometers, but that's like so much magma. So there were literal rivers of superheated gas and ash that came down into a valley 12 miles away. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like whenever there's any type of liquid, gravity going to pull it down and it's going to merge into the lowest point. So there was this valley 12 miles away and it flattened lush forests and it literally vaporized trees, transforming it into a white, desolate plain that it is today.
0: Yeah, actually, the ash took decades to cool.
1: Yeah, so so this was just over 100 years ago. So, like, fairly recent, if we're talking about, you know, history of things that happened in the world geologically. This happened not that long ago. And there was once a lush forest. Mm-hmm. And there was volcanic eruption and the ash and the lava just literally wiped it all out. And so today, what's known as the Valley of 10,000 Smokes is just, it's like rock desert.
0: Right beside a lush forest. Yeah, it's, it's like, insane. like, you it, can it, clearly tell where it, like, drops off. It like, resembles
1: some of the parks that we've already talked about that are in, like, Utah.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, so that's, like, really cool. And that happened to be um, one of the things that sparked the idea to make this a national monument. Oh, it was the most powerful volcanic eruption in the 20th century. And ash drifted as far as Oregon.
0: Oregon.
1: Which is very far away. All right, so back to how Cat May became a national park. The National Geographic Society that we referred to earlier, that funded the expeditions, was delighted with the discoveries. Uh, and they led more expeditions in 1917 to make sure to do a larger survey of the region. And then there were articles published by the National Geographic magazine and that just brought a lot of attention to the region um, and it promoted the idea of preserving the land and the, the public was educated on what was going on up in Alaska. And so people began to advocate for the protection of the area in the national park system. And of course it was backed by the National Geographic Society which is a good friend to have in your corner. At the same time, the establishment of Mount McKinley National Park, later named Denali National Park, was pending, and the idea of making Katmai a national park was discussed by the bigwigs in the National Park Service. But they landed on the idea that the region should be protected as a national monument by the president using the
0: Antiquities Act. Antiquities Act, and it was Carter too, right? Carter, Car- Jamie, Jamie, no, no, Jamie in 1918. It was not. Then whoever made it a national park. Oh, there
1: were a few other, there were some expansions using the Antiquities Act to make it even bigger. This thing grew. So after some negotiation and after the 1918 expedition confirmed the Valley of 10,000 Smokes was a permanent thing that it wasn't going on anywhere because they couldn't be like, yo, let's have the Antiquities Act be passed by the president and then oh, oops, this isn't like a a permanent thing like it left and what do we do now? So they made sure that the Valley of 10,000 Smokes wasn't going anywhere. And then Woodrow Wilson was like, dope, I'll sign the proclamation of Katmai National Monument on September 24th, 1918. However, the proclamation had little immediate effect other than grumblings from territorial officials. So we talked about that in the other episode we did on Wrangell-St. Elias. Mm-hmm. Some Alaskan leaders and lawmakers were just like not for. Yeah, in the sixty-third
0: National Park, we talked about it then too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. People get all mad. So Some people
1: just get all mad. So sorry, but.
0: This land is my That's
1: what happened. Yeah, so it didn't really have that big of a difference because not a lot was going on in this land anyway. Uh, but an expedition in 1923 found that the region had very little exploitable mineral potential. So even further to the point, they were like, mm, there's not really much you can do on this land anyway, so we might as well make a monument out of it. And then tourists in their early 1920s amounted to, as we said earlier, a few dozen. Mm -hmm. So you and your closest 38 friends probably could have broken a record by being the largest group that ever visited. That
0: is so many friends.
1: Actually, that's so many friends. (laughs) I think back to college and like, you know, that was an average night. But today, as my old self, that's so many friends. I'd be very overwhelmed.
0: Especially in the cold.
1: Especially in the cold.
0: Friends become enemies oh, in the cold really So anyway,
1: quickly. if you're a listener and you have 30 friends, way to go. <laughs> Enjoy it now. The National Park Service became aware that Katmai was among the best habitat for grizzlies in Alaska. And that the monument should be expanded to protect them. So in 1931, President Herbert Hoover issued a proclamation expanding the monument under the antiquities act to 2.6 million acres more than doubling the size and creating the largest single park service unit and it wasn't even a park it's still a monument but it was the largest park service unit crazy all right we're almost done unit (laughs) Even with the land being protected, poaching was still an issue and increased after World War II. At the same time, Alaskan territorial interests sought to have the monument disassembled or reduced in size to allow mining and fishing. Because the Park Service had made no effort to develop the monument for visitors or make it very accessible for people to come visit. Um, But again, like we already said that there weren't a lot of resources to exploit. So why are you in such a hurry to disassemble the monument anyway uh proposals were turned aside and then uh, it just became more legit from there so actually cat fun fact the monument didn't get its first ranger until 1937 and it even shared that ranger was even shared with mckinley national park Mm. and there's a story that a ranger that that same ranger that was assigned to both places he was going traveling from mount mckinley to Katmai, may and it took him almost an entire month to get there he was only there for a day checked it out and then went back
0: did he go on foot
1: i don't know but also in 1937 i can't imagine alaska was very ex, like very navigable oh
0: no yeah definitely not he probably got lost a few times
1: i would imagine so it
0: hmm.
1: wouldn't surprise me that poor guy yeah That's so he traveled for a whole month and arrived at Catman and was like, tight, looks good. And then he left. He so,
0: probably saw the grizzles and was like, gotta go. I don't blame him.
1: Deuces. Um, but the National Park Service at the time just wasn't willing to put a lot of resources towards this monument. Even though, like we said, it was the largest monument that it had. So anyway, there were some few efforts to make the monument more visitor friendly, which included paving some roads and establishing a visitor center and making the whole operation more legit. Then in 1980, the passage of the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, also known as the ANILCA, which we already talked about in our wrangell St. Elias episode. It established May National Park and Preserve and got even more land, bringing it up to 3.6 million acres.
0: 3.6 million acres. And that's all. (laughs) Oh, and then it's over. And And it's over. Okay. Then I'm done. History is
1: over. (laughs) Yeah. So we reached the climax and then it drops off really quick.
0: And what year was that?
1: 1980.
0: We climaxed in 1980
1: with our friend
0: was that maybe jimmy carter that must have been jimmy i don't
1: know i took away i just saw detail. jimmy carter's
0: name and that he did well however you were involved excited.
1: jimmy sorry we don't we don't know um but
0: he listens to us almost as much as jayla <laughs> um, props to
1: you great cat well that
0: was yeah that was jimmy's okay nice great memory
1: well do you want to take a short little break and then we'll come back with plants and animals
0: Only if it's super, super short. I'm down. Okay. Bye. Bye. Okay, we're back. We are back. And May Cat, talk about Cat May.
1: May Cat, talk about Cat May. Was that break short enough for you, Cat?
0: Oh, yes. Wonderful. It was. was.
1: Great, great, great. Well,
0: I'm going to sit back, relax, and listen to what you got to say. Sweet. Well, in my research, this is the least amount of information I have found about plants and animals in any particular park so far. So while they are very interesting and fun, um, I just wanted to point out that the diversity of wildlife in this park is not vast. There's not even like little snails and oh, wow. and yeah things like that
1: which is in contrast to the literal vastness of the park itself.
0: Exactly, huh? Even one of the fun facts I found over and over and over again was like, Cat May is so cold. There's not a lot of amphibians and reptiles. <laughs> I was like that's like, that's your fun fact. <laughs> okay, cool. So as you mentioned, uh, the park was established because of this uh, volcano and the geological coolness. But after a few years, they did realize that there is important wildlife here. While it's not diverse, there is important wildlife here. So it started as a way to preserve the research of the volcano in 1912, but now they look at all of the different wildlife there that needs to be protected, such as moose, caribou, red fox, wolf, lynx, fish like salmon and trout, sea lions, sea otters, harbor seals, gray whales, orcas, beluga whales, and... One of my favorite birds. That's like an A-list list. I know. It, there's not a lot going on there, but what is there is really cool. Yeah. Because they also have the puffins. And oh, I'm pretty sure right. that Acadia said that there were no other puffins in North America, and they must admit the lower 48. Oh, but, yeah. But there are definitely puffins there, and they're oh, very sweet they're and so cute. Freaking cute. But you literally cannot even type in Cat May without our first animal Mm -hmm. coming up after. So let's get in it. Without any further ado or surprise for anyone, (laughs) we are going to talk about bears, beets, and Battlestar Galactica. Or just bears. Just bears. There are about 2,200 brown bears estimated to live in this park, which is what they think is like the largest population of brown bears anywhere, which is huge and cute and cuddly in a sense. There are many places around the park where you can safely view the bears, so little jut outs where the bears... I did not see anything specific, but they were like, the rangers treat them in a certain way where they're not hungry for people. So I don't know what goes on there. Oh, totally. I know. But they said it's safe. They're not
1: hungry for people at and, the moment.
0: And right now, <laughs> there's so many salmon, salmon, as my fiance would say. Um, but you can also watch them on the webcams and you can listen to our webcam video, but we'll talk our episode, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. We don't have a webcam video. <laughs> nope, just don't listen don't to know. it. That
1: would be very boring. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So just a few fun facts about brown and grizzly bears. They can live to be about 20 years old and the oldest brown bear found was about 35. Nice. So older than me even. Um, they stand about three to five feet tall, and then they're seven to ten feet long. So you know when they're like little babies, and mm-hmm. they look like fluffy dogs with ugly faces. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they look like forever. They just get so much more fur. You so don't know. Much bigger. Anyway, that's
1: tall boy.
0: Yes, um, adults can weigh six to nine hundred pounds, and that's the male. And the females are probably like three to six hundred. But then they get really fat right before winter, as we all know. As and we'll we talk we all about know. that, and as moment. some
1: of us even do ourselves. We
0: all do that. <laughs> Got to keep your winter fluff. Females can have, on average, one to four cubs, and the cubs stay with mom for two to three years. So that's a pretty long time. Yeah, to that's stick a very mom. solid amount of time. Mm-hmm. All right. So thinking about the bears. We probably all know a lot about bears already. So I wanted to give a few highlights. Um, one being that we don't actually know, and we meaning the collective, we of the world, even scientists, don't know exactly what happens with bears when they quote unquote hibernate. They actually have done research where they tried to go in and like do tests on them and their vitals when they're asleep. Yeah. And it did not go so well right. for yeah, scientists. No surprise there. But they don't think that their metabolism shuts down enough to actually call it hibernation. It might just be winter sleep or torpor is another.
1: Torpor? Mm-hmm. So, Kat, hibernation isn't, I mean, and whenever we think about this on a literal elementary level, mm-hmm. whenever we learn about this when we're very little, hibernation isn't literally sl- sleeping for weeks at a time is it, it? yeah i mean so it, it, bears will like can will literally just like go into their den and sleep and not wake up for weeks
0: right and i think it's the metabolism part that really um defines whether it's a deep sleep or hibernation okay and i don't if bears don't hibernate i don't know what does i don't either like for sure but there's clearly some things that do, that, like, their metabolism just, like, oh, basically shuts be. off. Yeah. yeah, we've talked about some, but I can't come off in, any of the top of my head. But, um, yeah, so they, uh, they eat a lot, like, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of salmon. Like, all summer, all fall, they're just gnawing the on the salmon. Sometimes they just... Pick up a salmon and take a bite, just to go into the next salmon. I mean, they are—they're not sustainable with their food. Let's just say that. Um, but their body weight will reduce by a quarter of what they were in the fall before they go into their sleep. That's significant. Yeah. So, you know, that's—that is significant. And I think we've always thought that was cool. We also know that they have like a hair. Um, plug in their butt so they don't poop on themselves during hibernation. I didn't know I, that. Which I think is cool. Yeah. But what we also don't know is, so they're eating all this fatty salmon, but they're strangely resistant to plaque buildup in their arteries. And they also come out of the den without any kind of like muscle decay or or any any kind of like issues that you would have with your body if you just laid in bed for three to four months, for, right? Wow. And so they're going to do more research on bears to try to find solutions to muscle atrophy and things of that nature in medicine. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is neat. I had never thought about or heard about that. And then lastly, I wanted to talk about something that's become very popular, especially in the past year, which is Fat Bear Week. <laughs> Do you that remember was this? That one of my fun facts. Oh, well, you said you looked at my stuff, so but, you should have known. I
1: should have known. that <laughs> I skimmed it. That is so weird and so cool. Tell us about Fat Bear
0: Week. <laughs> so Fat Bear Week began as Fat Bear Tuesday when Cat May employees printed before and after photos of some of the park's uh, bears. And so they would ask people who came to visit the park to vote on the chubbiest bear, like bracket style. And um, this one bear named Otis has won every single year. Wow.
1: Get it, Otis. <laughs> I
0: read in one place that they really think it's the fat rolls on his neck that <laughs> give him this fat rolls <laughs> award each year. Oh, here. my gosh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, he has been known as the king of the fat bear week for the past two years and people are really concerned about him and his well-being why? like not concerned in a bad way but like excited about it oh, is a better okay. word. and they also do a lot of body positive promotion during fat bear week right and like why they need to be because fat equals healthy exactly when you're a bear exactly so lastly, I will just mention that, um, and we mentioned this, you can go on the webcams episode or you can go on the National Park Service website, but they do have a lot of information about when you can visit to see the bears, mm-hmm. um, so the most famous place to see the bears is Brooks Camp, which is one of those like I said, you just kind of stand on something and oversee them. And the webcam there has seen up to twenty-five bears at one time, just on the webcam. That's so a that's lot. really exciting.
1: So, and those are all types of bears, not just grizzly or brown. You can see. There,
0: grizzly and brown are what you can find there.
1: Well, sorry, I meant like there's not one spot like that would just have brown bears or just have grizzly bears.
0: Um, not according to my research. Okay, great.
1: (laughs) And I also did find a little more specific information on what exactly hibernation is. Okay. So it's when an animal, or even sometimes plants, spends the winter in a dormant state, and they spend several weeks or months sleeping and its state of inactivity to help conserve energy. So hibernation is characterized by slow breathing, a slow heart rate, low body temperatures, and low metabolic rate. And like you said we don't know exactly what bears are doing the whole time they are quote-unquote hibernating Um, and they probably aren't sleeping that entire time but hibernation for bears simply means they don't eat or drink and they rarely urinate or defecate. So they could be sleeping the whole time.
0: I want to be there. That sounds Dope. very nice
1: to me. Yes. Yeah.
0: Beers. Even
1: if it is a significant fraction of my life, I thoroughly enjoy sleeping.
0: And eating a lot before I sleep. Mm-hmm. And I like salmon. I actually
1: have grown more in favor of salmon than I ever have before. I'm not a big seafood guy at all, but salmon I can do. Hmm. <laughs> yeah smoked salmon specifically very good good stuff um which i'm sure is the most popular way to eat it but anyway that is so interesting to me about how hibernation like is such a popular thing and it's like so intriguing to all of us but like do we really know what it is yes but also no
0: but also no nuts yeah nuts well especially for bears
1: especially for the bears which are like what comes to mind when you think of hibernation yeah that's just a little ironic Anyway, what else you got?
0: Well, my next one is such a cutie. I'm obsessed with the Harlequin ducks.
1: Okay, I thought I was going to be the duck, but I didn't want to say the duck, and you'd be like, no. Oh my
0: God. They're They're so beautiful. So, this duck is common in North America, and it's known for its male's striking plumage. So if you, if you
1: if you plumage
0: like cataclysmic or whatever <laughs> you said. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, all I said. If you don't know what this duck looks like, I'm not gonna describe it well. You need to get online and look up Harlequin duck. Google they are that. blue, chestnut and white and black and just it looks like someone painted a duck and didn't have an idea of where they were going before they started and just kind of played with it. There has to be some evolutionary reason why they look like this. I do not know what it is. Neither do I. The females are kind of like brown and spotty. Smart ducks. (laughs) Um, So the Harlequin duck is named after the Harlequin, which (laughs) is a mute character in traditional... Pantomime, 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 which is an like old school Italian entertainment, and they look the jesters basically, the yes. um, diamond shaped all over their outfit, and they have their face painted. And yes, that's it's
1: it's acting out an action very dramatically without words.
0: That's what a pantomime is. That's what pantomiming is.
1: Um, yes, so like if you are like uh, an extra a tv show and you're a chef and you're flipping burgers but like you're just rehearsing and you're not actually filming yet and you just pretend to like do the motions of like put the spatula under and then do the flip motion but there's like nothing around you that's what pantomiming is you're pretending to do the action Interesting. you're acting it out yeah well yeah that's right and that's where mine comes mine comes from as well
0: Very, very, we're getting so much information. I like this a lot. Love it. All right. So, while interacting, Harlequin ducks make distinctly unduck like squeaks, which I have already pulled up for you. Perfect. These. So, listen to the mouse of the sea.
1: I can see how it's a duck, but that would not be my first guess at all. I know. I would think like monkey first. Oh, for sure monkey. And then maybe some type of like rodent. But yep. duck would not come to mind for quite some time. I mean See the water looks. and like the sound of the flapping gives it away a little bit more, but wow.
0: Yeah. They're cute. They make very cute, very noises. cute noises. And so when I think about cute birds, doing cute things. I think of that little sandpiper in the Pixar that, like, runs up to the water, and then the water starts coming and runs back and never gets its little wet. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, these are the opposite.
1: (laughs) 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 They like the water?
0: So, harlequin ducks suffer more broken bones than any other species. Oh, no. They love living on rocks and in, like, very trepid water. Trepid? Is trepid a word? Trepid is a word. And is it a word you can I don't know if that's on? the right
1: <laughs> usage of it, but I don't know. I'll go with it. Trepid.
0: Forceful water. Anyway, they get like beat up by water and rocks all the time. Oh. And they're like, this is my life. I'm going to keep living it with my beautiful plumage, well, and my them. broken bones.
1: Trepid plumage. <laughs> <laughs> Cataclysmic.
0: Cataclysmic wow. Indeed. There's some, they're a bunch of daredevil ducks. Yeah. And they've painted up to be a mime. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, the oldest Harlequin duck was a male. He was banded in 1995 and he was found in 2014. Wow. Yeah. So he was 20 years and nine months old. That's awesome. hmm And just a little top hat on all of this cuteness. They eat um, by like diving down in the water and they get mollusks and crustaceans. and then on land'll eat insects and they're just like going around getting all of the cute little animals and Oh, how cute, I know. Nice. So adorbs. All right, so my next highlight is a plant. and this plant is spelled MONKSHOOD. So I was like, Monks should. Yeah, monkshood, right? Or
1: monk's monkshood.
0: <laughs> it's m- monkshood. Oh, okay. <laughs> but there's like,
1: but the SH will real that'll.
0: Right, you can't have KSH out. together. Yeah, and not make it monk's should monkshood, well, monkshood.
1: <laughs> but it's monkshood.
0: Right, and that's okay. exactly what they look like. So these are little herbaceous wildflowers that grow in meadows pretty much everywhere. Like, the the map was just covered in it. I think, like, Florida didn't have it. And the posterior sepal, or the back of it, <laughs> resembles the cowl worn by monks. So the little hood Their worn heads. by monks. Okay. They are purple. They're really cute. They're often... Planted by people as an ornamental plant because it's really beautiful, like I said, purple or blue, and all of the parts, but especially the roots, are toxic. So why wouldn't everyone just put it everywhere? Oh.
1: To. <laughs> Humans or animals? To everything. To everything. Yeah. So, actually, a
0: lot of people put it in their yard because deer and rabbits already know not to eat it. So, you can definitely keep it around. Okay. The toxins in it are known to affect the heart and the nerves. And those are important things. Yeah. People (laughs) often mistake this for other herbs and like end up in the hospital. Not often, but there were quite a few cases. Wow. Um, But you can boil or steam it to reduce the toxicity. Um,
1: Or you can just steer clear altogether.
0: Right. (laughs) Um, These were also... This plant's also in Western Europe. It was used in ancient times as the poison on bows, spears and arrows and things like that. Yeah. And just like everything that's kind of deadly, somehow it's also used in herbal medicine. They also (laughs) use it... um, For, like, muscle aches and things like that. I mean, it's just wild that this cute little monkhood is, like, deadly. I mean, to the point where people's hearts just, like, stop because they put it on their salad to eat. Oh, my gosh. Or, you know, of course there's...
1: So it's cute, deadly, and prevalent.
0: Yes. Great combo. I know. Wow. And they're everywhere, apparently, in this park. So um I wanted to talk about it not only because it was pretty, but also I just it's the most poisonous flower in North America. Okay. That is why I wanted to talk about the most. There was a superlative the there. Alright, so my last plant is the fireweed.
1: Fireweed.
0: The fuego weed.
1: Fire muffin.
0: <laughs> Fireweeds are Found pretty much once again in the northern hemisphere. Everywhere. And they are called the fireweed because they are the first plant that typically colonizes soil after a fire. Oh. So Fitting. It makes a lot of sense it why it's all over Katmai. Um they've also been named the Bombweed because they or they would colonize after bombings in World War Two. Oh. Yeah. So wow. um I we're gonna stick with Fireweed. Yeah. They okay, we have a volcano, we have all this ash, mm-hmm. everything's gone, mm-hmm. ready to go. Um, you can't get started without a plant, right? So right. not only is the fireweed really good at, like, starting this colonization, it has these cute little flowers that bees love. So they play a very important part of honey production, and until you can have the bees there, other things can't grow there. Yeah. So it's a good, like, it just gets everything started Teamwork
1: makes the dream work.
0: Just teaming up to make all the good things happen. It's often found along highways and railroad embankments, but it just loves disturbed areas. Like, if you can, like, mess with it, it's happy. Oh. And they have pink or purple flowers on them. They're really cute. They're really important. A single fireweed plant can have 80,000 seeds.
1: Wow. Many.
0: That's a lot. So they're important. They're not like super unique to the area. Neither of these plants were, but they were, they do have superlatives.
1: Thanks for telling us about them.
0: Oh, you're so welcome. Nick, do you have, do you have something else you want to?
1: I have a few fun facts and then I have another trivia, but I think it's going to be a pretty easy one for you.
0: Oh, thank goodness. Do you have any fun facts? I do. Why don't you go
1: first? Let's alternate. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip the one I had about the world-famous Brooks Falls because we already talked about that. Mm. There are about 15 active volcanoes in the park, notably Mount Martin, Mount Majik, Trident, Nova Rupta, and Mount Katme, which are situated within the preserve. Four peaked volcano became active in 2006 after 10,000 years of lying dormant, demonstrating that there may be more active volcanoes that are yet unknown. Dun, dun, dun.
0: All right. In 1989, the day before I was born, the coastline to Katmai was damaged extensively by the Exxon Valdez oil spill in the Prince Mm -hmm. William Sound. Hate to see it. It resulted in oil along 90 percent of the park's coastline, and the oil killed 8,400 birds alone. The last oil was cleaned up in 1991. And there is a 145-page report of how the National Park Service responded to the Exxon Valdez spill that I will be reading for fun this weekend. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> Don't invite me to that party. It sounds too crazy for me. Um, I'm glad that you did that. Fun fact, because it's more up your alley and also because I didn't have to. You know, <laughs> I saw that and I was like, that's too depressing. All right, so I am want to tell our listeners how to get there because as we mentioned, um, it is a pretty remote location and it's not the easiest to get to. So the easiest way is that from Anchorage, scheduled jets fly the 290 miles from King Salmon where the park's headquarters are and then from there to the actual park. And then June to mid-September, there are daily float planes that fly the last 33 miles to Brooks Camp. The site of a summer visitor center and the center of activity. That's at Brooks Camp, and that's where um, it's a location near where you can visit or see some of the bears, correct? Mm -hmm. Air charters can be arranged into other areas, and you can drive the nine miles from King Salmon to Blank Camp. And at the western end of the park on the Nankek River... Ah, uh, you can go by boat to Brooks Camp, the Bay of Islands, and other areas um, of the lake. So you got to do some planning, but boats and planes seem like the best way to get there.
0: It's like the only way, really. Right. All fifteen of us. <laughs> um. So I just found this, and it's a little out of place now. But any water buried by ash, or that percolated into the ash from the explosion, would flash into steam. And the vents where the superheated steam emerged became the fumaroles that inspired the name Valley of the 10,000 Smokes. Nice.
1: Thanks for um, saying that so eloquently. When to go. The best time to go is June to early September. Only then, with transportation between Brooks Camp and the Valley of 10,000 Smokes, there are lodges, cabins, and the Brooks Camp campground. And they're open during that time. Heavy snowpack rate may remain in the upper elevations through July. Summer daytime temperatures range from the mid-50s to the mid-60s, and the average low is about 44 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. So it's still pretty chilly. And if you go outside of, like, June to September, then you're in for some difficulties. Get ready for it. Yeah. All right, you ready for some trivia, Kat?
0: Um, I want to add one more. Oh, actually, I'll add it if it's not in the trivia. Okay. Okay.
1: Well, it probably won't be. Okay. But, you know, let's dive in and find out. <sighs> Number one, what is the entrance fee to Cat May is National Park Preserve? Is it free? Park because that's preserved?
0: exactly what I was about to say. It's free!
1: <laughs> so, if you go through the work of getting there, you deserve to <laughs> go in for free. So, just know that if... For whatever reason, in your heart, entrance fees are something that's really deterring you from going to certain national parks. Go to Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> I pay you several hundred dollars just in transportation alone. But in May, you can just go on in for zero buckaroos. All right, Kat, you might also know this one. How many brown bears are thought to be in May National Park and Preserve?
0: Um, I think a little over 2,000. Some people say 2,000. Some people say 2,200.
1: 2000-ish. Correct. (laughs) Moving along. Number three. Mount Katmai is a volcano in Katmai National Park and Preserve. Atop the volcano is a crater lake. How deep
0: is the lake? Oh, my God. That's such a random question. A,
1: 500 feet. B, 600 feet. C, 700 feet. Or D, 800 feet.
0: 800. It's 800 feet. And it's called a caldera.
1: (laughs) Very good. (laughs) So caldera, a.k.a. crater, sometimes has a lake in it, mm-hmm. um, especially in areas where you can find glaciers. So there is actually a lake in the little bowl, little, in the bowl <laughs> of Mount Katmay, and it is 800 feet deep as of right now. It changes. All right. Last one. I think you might get it all four for four, Kat. Let's find out. There is a week every year where individuals can vote on who is the fattest bear in Katmai National Park and Preserve. What's that week called? But first, I want to go through all of them because I felt so creative coming up with all the answers, of which it's not. So let's find out. Is it A, King Salmon Week, B, Biggest Bear Bonanza, <laughs> C, Burly Beast Week, or D, Fat Bear Week?
0: No, oh, I want the Burly Bear Bonanza. But what is it? It's Fat Bear.
1: Correct. Fat Bear Week is a single elimination tournament that determines who will be crowned the fattest bear on the Brooks River. For each pairing of bears, you'll be given the opportunity to vote on the bear of your choosing. Your votes decide who will wear the mantle of the year's fattest bear. <laughs> what, Leo? Is that who? What was his name? Or, Otis. 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 And apparently he's <laughs> the guy to beat. I was going to
0: say Orphis. Orphis.
1: <laughs> uh Yeah, so that's all. Kat, you win. I won. You got all of them I correct. I'm so excited. That's awesome. All right. Well, Kat, anything else you got? Any questions, comments, thoughts, beliefs, philosophies, intuitions, or ambiguities?
0: Bend at the knee, not at the back.
1: I'm telling you, <laughs> everyone should earn a lesson. Bend at the name. All right. Well, if you found this episode to be even just a little bit interesting, you should share it. We would really appreciate it. And I'm sure that one of your many, many friends would love to have a little giggle with us and also learn a little bit something along the way. So you can find this and many more episodes on America's National Parks wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Follow us on Instagram at Podcast. To stay up to date on all of our episode releases and to see photos of the amazing places we talk about in each episode. Thanks for listening. You'll hear from us soon. You're beautiful.
1: Bye.